Welcome back, everybody. We are on season two, episode 16 of Ichabod's House. I'm Andy. I'm here with my lovely sister, Jen. Hello there. Uh, Today, we have a very interesting story of serial killer Dennis Nilsson from the UK. Serial killer or just a really good date? That's what we need to find out. It's a toss-up. It is a toss-up. Um, before we get into that, though, we have a little bit of business. Oh, I do have one thing I need to share with you, Jen. So I went to the Bentonville Walmart yesterday, and I think I found Simon from Bridgerton's cousin. Oh. He's not he, he doesn't look exactly like Simon, but he looks very similar. So I thought, hey, he works there. So I'm very excited about that. I could go back and see him again. Oh, I know. Nice. I didn't really get to check out his backside. That was, but I might oh. have fallen around the store next time I'm there. You might need to throw something on the floor and say, could you pick <laughs> that up for me? Could you do the bend and snap? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I was very excited about that. I just remembered that. Um, so we have some exciting uh, news or a fun thing for our listeners. Um, do you want to start that off? Yes, we have some wonderful lion planners to give away six month planners. They're five by eight size and they're undated. So you can fill them in as you go, use them mm-hmm. as you see fit. They are super high quality and we are going to be doing uh a giveaway where we give away one per episode for the next five episodes. So we want to do this giveaway and we would like you to do a few things in order to be entered for a drawing. Yes. A chance to win, if you will. A chance to win. And these planners are nice. The reason why I like them, I like that they're undated and mm-hmm. I like the size because I don't carry a very large purse, but it does fit right in my purse. Yes, And I really like that. Yes, I like that they're undated too, because there are some days and some weeks where I don't really need right, a, a super planner, but then there's times where my life is super chaos and I know I've got a stretch where I need to write down every little thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they work very well. They're nicely laid out. They're minimalist. They are uh, a great way to get organized. And I have really enjoyed communicating with this company. Uh, and really like their product. So yeah, yeah, it's if it's you want really to good. Be entered for a chance to in, win a lion planner. We have some things we'd like for you to do, and Andy's going to go through those with you. Yes, yay. Okay, so uh, just a few things. We need you to like our page on Facebook, and in the um the post that we have, we'll have a we'll have a post um talking about the contest. We'll have a link to the Lion Planner Company. And we need you to like their page as well. Subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast at. And then you will be entered to win or entered for a chance to win one of these planners. If you want to have more than one entry, we just need you to send us an email telling us about your favorite cryptid or a paranormal story that you have or any murders you've committed, any... (laughs) How you were your victims back to your house (laughs) and your favorite way to dismember a body. Uh, We'll feature those on the air. Uh, Yes. Any good cryptid paranormal story, any uh, 
um, odd experience you've had. Yeah. Uh, because we want to do a, we really want to do a listener episode and, so, um, and we'd love to get to know you guys better and have this be more interactive. Um, so send us an email with that. Jen, can you tell everybody our email? Yes. <laughs> Ichabod's house pod at gmail.com. Okay, good. Okay. Ichabod's house pod at gmail.com. Okay. Fantastic. So that is our business. We got that out of the way. We are good to go with getting into the, the fun stuff such as Ichabod's nose picks. Yes. Which I have some good ones. So I'm going first. Okay. If you have not watched Candy on Hulu, you have to drop everything you're doing after this podcast and watch it. You have to run, don't walk, and watch it. It is, oh my good night, fabulous. It stars Jennifer Beale, not Jennifer Beale, Jessica Beale. (laughs) Wasn't Jennifer Beale in Flashdance? I think she she was. was. Okay. Jessica Beale. And she, of course, does a fabulous job because she's a wonderful actress. This story, so my pair, I'm doing extended school year for um, special education. And my para, who I've never met before, was telling me about this. And this actually happened in her hometown. Mm. Crazy. But you you won't even believe all the twists and turns in this thing. So um, especially the ending. So you have to watch that. That's Candy on Hulu. And then everybody loves Melissa McCarthy, right? I mean, that's just, if you're alive, you love Melissa McCarthy. Mm -hmm. So her husband, and his name escapes me right now, created a show. They have a new series on Netflix. It's called God's Favorite Idiot. And it's it's fantastic. He, He gets struck by lightning and he starts to glow. And I think he's gonna... I think as this, as this, I've only watched like three or four episodes, but as it, it goes on, I think he's supposed to be doing something good for God, but he's kind of clueless, I guess. I don't really know. Anyway, it's, it's them and they are just, they're absolutely fantastic. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you have to watch that as well. God's favorite idiot on Netflix. Hey, well, we watched the boy too. Oh, I watched that too. And it was, it was good. It was not without its charms like that. I've also been watching blooper reels on YouTube for it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And I don't know if anybody watches that show. It is cringy sometimes because these people are so awful to each other. The blooper reels are hilarious. And I don't know how these guys ever get anything done because they're always making each other laugh so hard. That's awesome. I highly recommend that or any blooper reels. As I've also been rewatching because I can't wait for the next season to come out. The uh, series, what we do in the shadows, because I love me some clueless vampires and they're also sweet and cute and adorable. So highly recommend that as well. Wait a minute. Is this a cartoon? No. How can vampires be adorable? I've never really heard a vampire described as adorable before. So I'm a little concerned right now. Okay, watch it. It's on Hulu and you will understand. And what is it called? What We Do in the Shadows. There's a movie, Taika Waititi and Jemaine Clement did a movie a while back. And we have we watched that movie and laughed our butts off. It's a mockumentary style movie. And the series is mockumentary as well. It is so well done. 
It's so sweet in a way and really funny, tongue in cheek. Okay, so. adorable vampires on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, and I we too watched The Boy too, and yeah, I like. I mean, it was good. I, I and I, but I really like Katie Holmes. Yeah, she does such a good job in that. Mm-hmm. She does. I agree. Okay, fantastic. Well, we got that done, done and done. So now I think we just need to get into it, right? Yep. And as soon as I relocate my script, we will do that. Okay. So today we are going to get into the story of Dennis Nilsson. But first, some fun facts. In the United States from 1970 to 2000, there were hundreds of serial killers. And I mean hundreds, Jen. I started counting from a list on Wikipedia and stopped at 300. And I was only up to the M's. My God. Crazy. That is crazy. That's a lot of angst going on. There are a couple of theories as to why this was considered the golden age of serial killers. One is the lead paint theory, which I I mean, who didn't eat lead paint? I remember sitting in the garage, can of paint between my knees, spooning that shit up, you know, Uh, and I may or may not have microwaved a few animals in my day. I can't remember. There's a lot of blackouts. No wonder you were so bossy. I was. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Anyway, it's thought that when serial killers were little, they may have ingested an abnormal amount of lead paint, which was prevalent in homes during this time. And maybe that did something to their brains. I know, because, you know, lead paint liked to peel a lot. And everybody liked to put layer after layer of paint on their windowsills. Yes. And, you know. It would get on your toys and stuff like that. Just put that shit in your mouth. And lead also had like a little sweet taste to it, I guess. Oh, did it? Oh, okay. And the second theory is that after World War II, the Korean and Vietnam Wars, there were many traumatized fathers coming home and raising families. I think it's safe to say, though, that it isn't nurture alone that is responsible for serial killer making. It's more likely that it's a combination of environmental surroundings and circumstances coupled with the right switches in the brain going on or off that flips the serial killer switch in some people. But what does this have to do with Dennis Nilsson, you ask? Well, Dennis Nilsson was a serial killer who operated between 1978 and 1983 in London, England. Jolly old England. He was not crazy. He did not have an abusive father, but instead had a loving grandfather. Although it should be noted that his father was absent from his life. We aren't sure on the status of the lead paint in his house. Probably riddled with it. (laughs) He probably slept in a paint can. But he did grow up in a small town on the coast of Scotland. Mm -hmm. That's right, Jen. So we know about the famous serial killers in America. We hope to bring you more stories of some lesser known American serial killers in the future because there is a plethora. I can't wait. (laughs) But today we are going to venture across the pond and dive into the Dennis Nilsson murders. And I, for one, would like to discuss why he might have done this. Was it his upbringing? Was it his social environment outside of the home? What was it that made him do this? Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this guy, especially since, like we said, he was a very successful serial killer. Until he wasn't, he was smart. He picked a demographic of society that no one cared about or would miss or believe if they ever told anyone. He hid the bodies very well. 
But then he moved and this new home forced him to change his disposal method. And he essentially got caught because he clogged the toilet by flushing bones and skin. But more on that later. Here's I'm just going to start off this episode here with saying <sighs> common sense, people. I'm pretty sure you can Google how to dispose of a body. And I, I realize they probably didn't have that in 1983. But even I know enough that, you know, there are some turds that don't want to go down. We all have husbands, sons, anybody who's ever lived with a brother, classmate, who's most likely to clog a toilet. It's always going to be a guy because they poop really big. So we've all experienced that clogged toilet. Don't flush a bone down the toilet. If a guy's shit's not going to bend enough to go through the pipes, I'm just saying, your neck skin's not going to do it either. No, you're absolutely correct. I mean, we're laughing about this, but it really is. And he did, and we'll get into his method of disposal in the next episode, but he he did attempt to make them smaller. Um but your your skin anyway it's yes the clogging capabilities are rampant with the with bone and skin so you know come on to understand dennis nelson and why he did what he did we need to understand where and how he grew up and it is also worth noting here that he didn't just kill and dispose of the bodies right away this was no dexter no whereas dexter was very efficient tidy and disposed of the body in the ocean immediately dennis liked them to linger for a while like eight months but again more on that later dennis 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 so dennis was born as we said in fraserburg scotland ah scott he's a scottish man He's no Jamie from Outlander, though. True. Uh, He was born on November 23rd, 1945, to parents Betty White and Olav Nilsson. He didn't have his biological father in his life, but instead he had a stepfather and his maternal grandfather. He and his mother had a different relationship than what she had with his siblings. She would cuddle his siblings, but reportedly felt repelled by Dennis when he was very young, so she wouldn't touch him. He learned at a very young age that people were very put off by him. But his maternal grandfather was a different cat altogether. This guy just got his grandson. He was a fisherman in the North Sea and often took Dennis fishing with him, and they'd take long walks on the beach. Um when he was home. However, he did have to be gone for long stints at sea and Dennis would miss him terribly when he was gone. This grandfather was the only person that Dennis actually had physical contact with. They would play at the beach and take long walks. His grandfather teaching him about life until he was about six years old. And it was then that Dennis Nelson penned these words. If you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have, half a brain oh no wait that's probably not it because that wasn't i don't think that's it okay sadly in 1951 nilson's grandfather died his mother either didn't know how to tell him or didn't think it was that important to let him know his favorite person had died so she skirted around the issue telling him that his grandfather wasn't feeling well when it was time for the funeral his grandfather's body was laid out in the front of the house 
his mother asked if he wanted to see his grandfather and he was very excited. She neglected, however, to tell him his grandfather had died. What a fucking bitch. What an asshole. So, you know, and in those days, it was very common to have the body in the house. Yes. And so she's like, oh, you want to see your grandfather? And he's like, yeah. And he walks up to this coffin and he's dead. I mean, I can't even imagine this poor little dude doing that. So, yeah, she walks Dennis over to where his grandfather was lying in a coffin in their house. And he was confused. His mother had just told him that his grandfather went to a better place. You know, that's it. That's all she said. So Dennis, this little guy, is wondering why, if this place was so great, didn't his grandfather take him with him? It has been said that this is the this moment was when Dennis's belief system of what love and death were fused. After this moment, he only loved people that were dead. When Dennis was growing up, he knew he was gay and he was very, very ashamed of this. He grew up in a very masculine community. A lot of guys, a lot of guys, guys, big, muscular, hairy fishermen who could stitch up their own cuts with a bottle of vodka and some extra fishing line. Men who filled out their Levi's and filled them out well, both in the front and the back. (laughs) Men who smelled like grocery store aftershave and mint toothpaste. Mm. Men who had perpetual facial stubble and calloused hands. Men who would protect you from an attacking bear or a flying baseball. Men. Jen, are you about done? Men who wear flannel shirts. Now I'm done. All right. We're going to get back to the story now. Sheesh. Okay, so with all of these masculine men around, it was not very manly if you were a man who was attracted to men. First of all, it was illegal at that time when he was young. And secondly, you wouldn't be exactly the jewel in the family crown if you professed your love to someone of the same sex. Now, we know this is ridiculous, but 70 plus years ago, this was reality. Men and women, boys and girls did not get a coming out party if someone found out they were a homosexual. They got to attend conversion therapy or were kicked out of their house. It was very serious. Uh, I know that, you know, I think about that now and it it breaks my heart. It makes me. Oh, yeah. It's, it makes me sick and sad. Yeah. Um, I would venture to say that there we all have heterosexuals, homosexuals, trans, um, whatever. We have those people in our lives who are friends right. and loved ones. And it makes me really sad to think of these people that I love and care about ever being put where they would be afraid of being disowned or ostracized. And I know, I know. It, even in our lifetime when we were kids, yes, it it's, would have been um, really hard for any of our classmates in a small town in Nebraska to come out as gay. Uh, a terrifying thing. Oh. And it, it makes me really sad to think about that. It's yeah, it is terrifying. And, and to think that you could lose, I mean, you could be, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old and kick to the streets and have to fend Mm -hmm. for yourself, which is what, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's what a lot of people did. So he, you know, he knew young that, that, um, that was who he was. And he knew to be very, very ashamed of that. Makes me really sad. 
Yeah. Well, he did the only thing he could given that time and place. He did what a lot of men in his shoes did. The manliest thing they could think of doing so as to not draw attention to their real selves. He joined the motherfucking army. In 1961, Dennis was 15 years old and decided he had to get the hell out of his little town on the sea. He was in the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders units. It was here where Dennis would learn the skills to perfect his serial killing disposing techniques. Yes, that's right, Jen. He was an army butcher. Well, he was a cook, but he learned how to butcher and dismember carcasses of animals because I would assume back then it's not like the army now where everything comes prepackaged. Right. I would assume that they had a lot of dismembering to do. He also had a very disturbing hobby, photography. Photography in and of itself isn't creepy. However, he would ask fellow soldiers to play dead. He wanted them to pose in scenes as if they were just killed in battle or died of natural causes. It didn't matter. He just kept the camera clicking. By December of 1972, after 11 years in the army, he left. He decided to join the Metropolitan Police in London as a constable. Crikey, I'm a constable. <laughs> because a constable in Arkansas differs from a constable in London, England. Here's a definition. According to Google, a constable in London, England is paid and is the first rank, one rank below a sergeant and five ranks below chief superintendent in all police forces in the United Kingdom. Within the British police, all police officers are sworn in as and hold the basic powers of a constable. Yes. So for 11 years, he protected and served his country in the army. And then starting in 1972, he became an entry level police officer. Now, this only lasted a year before he joined the civil service and settled in the north part of London. Now, we need to describe North London in 1973. It was a lot like Vegas. Flashy neon signs advertising everything from movies to, well, you know, those kinds of movies. Ooh. And there were people, all kinds of people, accepting people. Cool. Well, David met someone there, a very special someone, and he had a loving relationship for 18 months. It took 18 months for David Galligan to realize what a narcissist Dennis was and leave him. So Dennis turned to other accepting people in London, rent boys. This term was originated by Great Britain, Ireland, and New Zealand and referred to a male who was both young and working class and did that kind of work. Middle class and upper class males would have been called escorts and other older males would have been called hustlers. But Dennis was interested in the rent boys. And most importantly, he was interested in companionship. Right. It wasn't, he was driven by companionship rather than sex. Dennis um, is now brokenhearted and realized that he doesn't really have the skill set to maintain a healthy relationship. He's a narcissist. Have you ever known a narcissist, Jen? Don't answer that. <laughs> yes, of course you have. We all have. If you say you haven't, then you are currently being sucked in by them and you have no idea, in which case you need to do a heel pivot and run the other way. Now, not all narcissists are serial killers. However, I believe all serial killers are narcissists. I think it goes without saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
So here we have Dennis, lonely and desperate for affection. That is a bad combination for a narcissist, for sure. On December 29th, 1978, Dennis Nilsson meets 14-year-old Stephen Holmes at a bar, a gay bar. Now, this doesn't mean that Stephen was gay. It just means he was homeless and penniless and knew he could get a free drink at a gay bar. I would hang out, if I was penniless and homeless, I'd hang out by the McDonald's dumpster or outside of Starbucks for them to throw away, you know, coffee mistakes or whatever. Um, That's what I would do. I wouldn't hang out at a gay bar hoping for alcohol. I'd be like, I'm going for the Big Mac that somebody only ate part of. Well, you're not wrong. And there probably was food that came out of this, but, but it's also a demographic of people who were willing to help other people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They weren't like if he were to run into somebody who was of higher status and who had money, they would look at him as a poor pauper and probably, I don't know, spit on him or something. Oh. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas in the gay bar, they're like, Hey, here, we'll get you something. You're yeah. Good. We'll help you out. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's important to note this for later that he may or may not have been gay. Um, but it was at a gay bar. So anyway, Stephen told Dennis he wanted a drink and Dennis said he could absolutely help with that because he was so helpful. So Dennis took Stephen to his flat, which was very near the bar and was more than happy to hook a young bloke up with a Mm. Nilsson really liked Stephen gay or not gay. Dennis was clearly a pedophile because he was 33 and picking up a 14 year old. Unless this 14 year old had a full beard, Dennis had to know he was super young. And that's super creepy. That is super creepy. That is right. But Dennis wasn't looking to be creepy. He was looking for a relationship. However, he did not, I repeat, absolutely did not have the skill set for a healthy relationship. So he had a problem. He had a very, very big problem because he really liked Stephen. He felt the only way he could guarantee that Stephen wouldn't leave him was to kill him. We were thinking maybe he could buy him a nice cornflower blue corsage and take him bar hopping along Rent Boy Avenue. But killing was certainly another way to go. Sometimes you just aren't sure. And if no is even a possibility, you got to kill him. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was just he was that scared of him to leave. So first of all, way to dodge that bullet, David Galligan. Mm -hmm. And another way to go indeed. It isn't clear if he actually had sex with Stephen, but whatever happened that night ended with Dennis strangling Stephen with a tie. And then he drowned him in a bucket of water just to make sure. So I just want to reiterate here that homosexuality, while newly legal now in the 1970s at this time in Britain, it was not accepted. You were shamed. You were, quote, less than. So even having a small regard for someone of the same sex could be extremely detrimental in a country where one's reputation was everything. After Stephen was dead, Dennis cleaned up the body by giving it a bath. He cleaned it with a washcloth or sponge using soap. He then dried it and dressed it. He placed it in his living room with one arm placed along the backside of the couch. So when he sat down, it was like they were watching television together with Stephen's arm around him. He would talk to Stephen about his day in civil service, assisting people getting jobs. 
Yes. And this is interesting here, isn't it? He wasn't committing depraved sexual acts. He was playing house. He wanted to come home to someone, to share his space with someone, to tell his stories to and have them listen. He was so ashamed of who he was when he was out in the world pretending and doing expected day-to-day things. But when he came home, he could be in a loving relationship with a corpse because the corpse couldn't talk back or leave. It was perfect. Until it wasn't. All good things must come to an end. Unfortunately, this relationship ended before it even started. What with one of the participants being dead and all. That's sometimes what it happens. Blimey, I can't touch a wiener because you're dead. Well, I could touch it, but it might break off. It fell off. It fell off. Guess it's time to flush it down in the toilet. I got me wiener and your wiener in my hand. I could use it to store my tea. I... (laughs) <laughs> Your wiener's a little gamey. <laughs> All right. After some time, it's unclear how long, Stephen started to get a bit cold and clammy, and Dennis thought it was time to dispose of the body. Probably when the wiener fell off. Probably. But he didn't want to get rid of him altogether. No, he still didn't want to be alone, Jen. But how could he keep Stephen nearby without keeping Stephen nearby? Mm. I mean... What a dilemma. He then looked down at his feet and the floorboards underneath. Eureka! He came up with a brilliant idea. He could just cut an opening in the floorboards, stuff Stephen's body in there, seal it back up, and no one would be the wiser. Mm. It's not like Dennis had a lot of company to worry about. In this way, Stephen would be nearby 24-7, kind of like a Taco Bell, always there when you need him. Exactly. And I suppose he could just... Rip up the floorboards and lay on him if he needed a hug or something, right? If he needed to be mesmerized. Absolutely. Yeah. A little mesmerization. Yeah. It's like the telltale heart, uh, Edgar Allan Poe. That's exactly what I thought of. Yes. All right. So he did it. He cut up the floor, stuffed Stephen in there like a sardine, and sealed it back up tight. Except it wasn't airtight. It's not like he put him in a large plastic bag and vacuum sealed it. After about eight months of Stephen being underneath the floorboards, Dennis thought it was time to say goodbye permanently. So he cut Stephen's body into pieces and then burned the remains in a small bonfire in his backyard garden in the middle of the night with tires on top to disguise the smell. Now, here's something I will say. First of all, gross. Secondly, when we do a turkey at Thanksgiving, I dismember the carcass afterwards and boil the bones to make a bone broth. Okay. It is really hard to cut a turkey apart. I cannot imagine trying to pull the arms and legs off of a human corpse. Uh, I can't, I can't imagine doing it. Well, I think that's why in all the datelines and things that you hear about, the chainsaw comes in very handy. Yeah. There's just, there's no clean way to do it. And, and no matter, and, and afterwards, my hands are completely covered in turkey fat. I, now I will say that smells really savory and good because it's a Thanksgiving turkey. And listen, Jen, if you were a cannibal, listen, Stephen could have smelled really good to you. But I think that 
if just saying. you had to, I don't think there's, here's the thing. Here's another thing. I also have cut up a human body <laughs> in PA school in anatomy class. I would spend five hours a day. So she says, so she says people. And so she I says. will tell you, even with formaldehyde, it stinks. And also that formaldehyde would seep through our gloves, even though we wore gloves. So our hands would smell like dead body and formaldehyde. And um, I can only imagine that if you, even if you wore Playtex kitchen gloves, your hands would still stink of dead body. Um, because I know, I know after doing the turkey business, my hands smell like turkey for a day or so. I don't wear gloves. I'm not going to wear my kitchen gloves that I use to put soft scrub in the sink. But I, I, I can remember wearing latex gloves in uh, school when we were dissecting the cadavers. And at the end of five hours of working on the body, my hands were numb from the formaldehyde and phenol and they smelled like dead guy i'm just saying you probably smelled very sciencey now this reminds me of those two scottish dudes who would dig up who would grave rob or then ended up murdering people and sold them to the medical facility burris burr and burke and burke and somebody i always think of dave and busters and i want a steak <laughs> and to play some ski ball. <laughs> it's Burke and Ham or somebody. I don't remember. I don't Burke either, but that's what makes me think of. Thank goodness. Here's the thing. You just need to feel blessed that you didn't have to dig up your own corpse. Uh, <laughs> yes. I think this is a positive. We need to put a positive spin on this dark turn. Um, yeah. Yes. And I also want to say in all seriousness, people who have donated their body uh, to science to help people like myself go into the medical profession. Uh, thank you very much. And I mean, certainly no disrespect um, by implying that it was difficult to dismember you. <laughs> In fact, it's a compliment because it just means that you had strong skin and bones and you were difficult exactly. to rip apart. And, but and I, that means that you were somewhat healthy. And to all the relatives who donate their loved one for that purpose and to all the people who donate themselves, uh, they're, when they're done using it. Thank you very much. Uh, I will point out that this is willingly done. They're already dead before we start working on them. It's not a Dennis Nilsson situation. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So here's Dennis. He's in the backyard. He's got the pieces. He's putting them on a small bonfire and then he puts, you know, tires on top. And I don't know if you've ever smelled rubber burning. I have. But it does not smell good. Drive. So <laughs> go on. Listen here, grandma. You're not that fast. <laughs> Although you do run a red light every now and then. So it's like there's nothing to see here, nothing going on here you need to know about. Doesn't everyone bonfire in the middle of the night? It's the very highbrow thing to do, you know, especially with tires on top. Ooh. That smell. Can't you smell that smell? It's a little Leonard Skinner for you. First thing in the morning. I used to play that song when I was a DJ. Um, yeah. So probably pretty darn smell. He's, I find it funny because he's trying to not 
call attention to himself by calling even more attention to himself, you know? Crikey, Dennis. <laughs> Your yard smells like burned rubber. Who you got on the Barbie over there, Dennis? <laughs> I can't even do a British accent today. My husband's got the fucking weed eater going outside the my windows. Do you hear it? <laughs> you don't hear it? No. Okay, good. I hear <laughs> it. I love him. But... <laughs> Come the fuck on, Chris. Come the fuck on. All right. So let's fast forward to December 3rd, 1979. I was in fourth grade. You were in second grade. Mm -hmm. This is almost an entire year after the murder of Stephen Holmes. And here Dennis meets Canadian tourist <laughs> Kenneth Ockendon. Sorry, eh? Eh then, eh? Eh then. You got a boat? Your grandfather riding a boat then, eh? This was a 23-year-old who was touring England while visiting relatives, and he met Dennis Nilsson at a pub on the west end of London. Well, it so happens, Jen, that for all his faults, Nilsson was a thoughtful guy. Again, he was so nice to little Stephen and helped him out. And after learning that Kenneth was a tourist, he offered to show him the sights of London. That's how nice he was. They spent the whole day together taking in the sights and drinking. They ended the day at Nilsson's apartment on Melrose Avenue in North London. I wonder what Dennis's signature move was. Did he do the yawn the and put his arm around the guy's neck? Or did he say, hey, I have all these neckties and I would like for you to try one on. Just, um, just going to put this around your neck right here and cinch it up good. Or did he say, I think he was a moment-to-moment, -moment, in-the-moment kind of guy. I don't think he had a really... He just... His his main thing was to get him back to his apartment. And then, you know what? Let's just see where the night takes us. Dude. Yeah. Let's let the chips fall where they may. Shall we? All right. All right. So he was... Dennis was really excited because he got to show off his record collection. Oh, my God. I got the new LP from KTEL Records. It is... Anne Murray, and she's been with Tennessee Waltz, and it's so I, good. And then she sings Snowbird, and and then I have some Olivia Newton-John too. And the it's so funny that this is where your mind goes for 1970s music because that's where yeah. it was in Nebraska, in the United States. In London, it was more like the Sex Pistols. It was probably like um, some David Bowie. Some yeah, Ziggy it was Stardust. more like that's what he was into. No, so, yeah. I feel like Dennis Nilsson would have been an Anne Murray fan. <laughs> he, was and he was like that um, uh, Barry Manilow. I write the songs that make the whole world sing. I was oh. thinking of the Anne Murray song. Um, Could I have this dance? Yes. For the rest of, of my, my life. life. You remember when, so we would listen our mom. So, so here's the thing. Our parents like just played the same music over and over and over. So when they got a, an album, they liked, they fucking played that thing until we were all on the edge of becoming serial killers. Let's be honest. If we had thrown some lead paint into that mix, it could have gone either way. So <clears throat> Anne Marie's could I have this dance for the rest of my life. The lyrics are, could I have this dance for the rest of my life? Would you be my partner every night? 
And Kathy, our older sister, used to say, um, it's could you be my partner in bed every night? And that's where I got that because I hear that every time and I know it's not right, but I'm thinking, how did I know not that? Right. And, but she tried to get us to so that we would sing it that way in front of our parents because you know, <laughs> you're cleaning on Saturday morning, which we all were, not like we should have been. Thanks, mom and dad. Um <clears throat> Okay, I'm just gonna rant here for a second. We okay, rant away. At, we would get up at seven on a Saturday, Saturday morning, and we would watch fucking Super Friends because that was the earliest cartoon that was on. Couldn't watch Bugs Bunny. By the time we got done cleaning house, because as soon as they woke up, it was all like, "We need to clean up this house." It was and all hands on deck. So then, by the time we were done cleaning, what was on? Tarzan. Stupid ass uh, cartoon. Seriously. Unk Mangani. Yes. Unk Unk. Unk Tontor. <laughs> Seriously. I don't need that shit in my life. At any rate, back to Anne Marie. I digress. <laughs> Kathy tried to get Andy and I to sing, Would You Be My Partner in Bed Every Night? So that we would sing that in front of mom and dad. And that would have been get your mouth washed out with soap kind of thing had we done that. Well, now we did sing all of the words to Grease Lightning and they said the shit word in there. And they also said it'll make you cream, which I didn't understand until I was probably 20. I had no idea what that meant. And then I remember one time I was in my early 20s and I remember singing that song and I thought, we sang this in front of mom and dad. We sang all the words in front of mom and dad and they never corrected us. Yeah, they didn't. Um, I always pictured a girl sitting with a tub of Cool Whip on her lap, um, getting to eat that. And I thought, well, she's pretty lucky. <laughs> Can eat a whole tub of Cool Whip. I don't think I thought anything about it, but I. I but the shit, I thought, oh, as long as it's in a song, I can swear. Yes. yes. I know it was a beautiful thing. Yes. Well. Okay. We were. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We what put our Barbies in bed together too. We, there was there was question of burning bodies. Dad always threatened to burn our Barbies um, because they often ended up in bed with Ken. Ken wasn't anatomically correct. I don't see what the big deal was. You know. At any rate, okay. Back I just to remember the show. I told on you because you put Barbie and Ken in bed together and they were naked and I was like, that's not right. So I'm very sorry that Murray I told on you. Said to do. They were saying they were playing at Murray. <laughs> this is they fell onto the bed. If this you had had a bowl, if you had had a bowl of whipped cream, <laughs> if you had had a bowl of whipped cream there for Barbie and Ken, that would have been really something. <laughs> Isn't that what people do in bed? They just eat whipped cream. <laughs> All right. So at any rate, Dennis was excited because he had a show of his record collection. Uh, while he and Kenneth continued imbibing well into the evening. He's like, hey, gotta listen to this. This is this is Willie Nelson, Redheaded Stranger. I love this one. This is Statler Brothers painted flowers on the wall. Okay, I'm just gonna clear this up right now. <laughs> Nobody in North London <laughs> listened to Anne Murray or Willie Nelson or the Statler Brothers or the Oak Ridge Boys that was all in Nebraska. I know. At this I know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Blondie. They probably listened to a little Blondie. All right. I'm just you saying. I, you're cracking me up over here because I'm just imagining all the neon lights and strip clubs and condom sales going on to Anne Murray playing in the background. 
<laughs> My heart's on fire for Elvira. Yeah. Okay. So when they listened to the records, they wore headphones to really feel the music, you know. It was yes. groovy, man. Groovy. It was, Jen. Until it wasn't. Unfortunately for Kenneth, Dennis really, really liked him. And he didn't want him to leave. And we all know what that means now. So what does a guy do? He strangled him with his headphones cord. As if that wasn't a dramatic enough end to a delightful sightseeing day, Dennis cleaned Kenneth's dead body and then shared a bed with it overnight. Okay, I want to point out, too, they probably did listen to Anne Murray because <laughs> she was Canadian. <laughs> or is Canadian. She's probably still alive. She probably still is. Okay, well, that is that is very plausible then. You're so, right. I'm just saying, if he had moves, probably listening to Anne Murray. Okay, All right. I get it. I'll, I'll, I'll concede that. Well, just like with Stephen, he eventually hid Kenneth's body under the floorboards. However, he did take it out once in a while to have conversations with it. Is it just me or is this a real life Edgar Allan Poe poem like we were talking about earlier? And yes, it clearly is. Anyway, thankfully, yet unfortunately, Kenneth was one of the few victims of Dennis to be reported as a missing person. Yeah, so let's just take a beat and discuss that for a moment. In the beginning, we said that Dennis picked a demographic that no one would believe if they had told or miss if they were gone. And for the most part, that was true. However, he made a mistake with Kenneth. Kenneth had a loving family who was very determined to find him. In our research, we did not find any statements as to whether Kenneth was gay or not. This is important because the young gay guys that he was picking up were the dredges of society and had been banished from their families and living on the street doing anything they could to survive. Yeah, but not Kenneth. He was just an Anne Murray fan, living the high life, traveling abroad visiting family, and he was clearly comfortable saying yes to whatever came his way. However, if the police did not know he was gay, would they be looking in the right place for him? Hmm. Yeah. The next victim was Martin Duffy. He was killed about five months later on May 17th, 1980. Martin was 16 years old and homeless. I think it is safe to say that Duffy was more than likely a gay teen who was turned out by his family, which forced him to live on the streets. He was propositioned by Dennis to stay the night at his house. Jesus. After some imbibing and some Marvin Gaye, Martin Duffy (laughs) was killed by strangulation, followed by drowning in the kitchen sink. Dennis then bathed his body. He propped Martin up in the living room and placed his body in a relaxed, ready-for-conversation pose. Like, hey, Seth, let's tell me about your day, Dennis. Dennis was overjoyed when he came home from work and someone was there waiting for him, hanging on his every word, nose still attached, wiener still attached for the time being, maybe a cockroach crawling in and out of the ears. But otherwise, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe leaking some body fluids on the couch. I wonder if you put a pad down for things to. Would that happen if you were just left? Would you start to leak body fluids out of your yeah. por- orifices? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. oh, yes, you would. Anything that's in there is going to come out. 
And then the body starts to rot. It's called liquefaction. Everything just turns to a big stinky puddle. I cannot imagine the stench. Yeah. Cannot yeah. imagine. For sure. Well, two days later, Martin's moist decomposing body was placed beneath the floorboards in Nilsson's home. Nilsson didn't waste much time, however, getting to his next victim. It was only three months before he needed a fix. On August 20th, 1980, William Sutherland unfortunately crossed paths with, Den with Dennis. He was 26 years old and from Edinburgh. Sutherland worked sometimes as a male prostitute and met Nilsson in a pub in Piccadilly Circus. He then agreed to go home with him. Nilsson couldn't remember exactly how he had killed young Sutherland, only that it was through strangulation. He performed the same routine as with the others, the bathing, the dressing, the sitting up for casual conversation. Nilsson's fifth victim was a man with rough hands, thought to be an Irish laborer. He wore an old suit and jacket. It was estimated he was between the ages of 27 and 30 years old. He met this victim in the Cricklewood Arms in late 1980. A second unidentified victim was killed in October 1980. This sixth victim was described as a slender male prostitute. He said he was between the ages of 20 and 30 and of either Filipino or Mexican descent. Nilsson met him in the Salisbury Arms. So Salisbury Arms and Cricklewood Arms must be names of bars, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Another unidentified victim was killed in November 1980. He was described as an English vagrant in his 20s. Nilsson found him sleeping in a doorway at the top of Charing Cross Road. Nilsson killed him at his Melrose Avenue flat and stated that he believed this victim's life had been one of long suffering. Oh, so he's doing him a favor. Yes. Yes. Well, he's a giver, Jen. He is a giver. He hooks you up with a drink if you need one. He takes you on sightseeing tours if you need that. He's a giver. He ends your life if you're suffering clearly, you know. So the next unidentified man was killed somewhere between November and December 1980. He was described as being a long-haired hippie between the ages of 25 and 30. Nilsson met him in the West End after the pubs had closed. This victim's body was put underneath the floorboards of the flat until Nilsson removed it, cut it into three pieces, and then put it back under the floorboards. Sweet Jesus. In November 1980, a man named Douglas Stewart escaped Dennis's clutches. He said he woke up in Nilsson's flat to find that his ankles were bound. He was sitting in a chair while Nilsson was on top of him, strangling him. It isn't clear how, but the 29-year-old was able to finally overpower him and managed to escape. Yeah, hmm. I think I would have bound his hands, not his ankles. I, yeah. I <laughs> You see, he's smart until he's not, you know, yeah. what a moron. Yeah. So Douglas ran to a telephone booth, called the police and told them what had happened. When the officers arrived at the apartment to question Nilsson, he explained it away as a lover's quarrel. Mm. Well, once the super homophobic police knew they were dealing with homosexuals, they lost all interest and did nothing to help. In January of 1981, Nilsson killed an 18-year-old blue-eyed Scot 
who wore a green tracksuit top and trainers. He met him in the Golden Lion Pub in Soho in early January 1981. The Scot was murdered after taking part in a drinking contest with Nilsson at his Melrose Avenue flat. So there's a lot of killing by strangulation and living room conversations with a corpse. That could be the title of a TV show, I think. <laughs> strangulation and living room conversations with a corpse. God. Like, I think you're right. We will learn more about Dennis's victims, his trial, and what he did while in prison. Anyway, we will have much more within the next one to two weeks, depending on how Andy is coming with the techie side of the podcast. We're trying to learn everything we can to make this podcast the best it can be. And we absolutely want to thank you all for hanging in there with us while Andy gets her shit together and gets through this learning curve. Andy has started doing some of the editing. Um, she's actually much more technical than I am. She did this nerd shit while she was in college and I've been, uh, primarily doing it the last year or so. Andy is, um, starting up to do it and, uh, she's kicking ass at it. Well, <laughs> I don't think I'd say that. We'll see. But yeah, we are, I am working on it. So, you know, we can hope that I'll get there. And thanks everyone for listening. You guys make every episode awesome. We love doing this and we love hearing that you love it too. It's just great. Um, and I just wanted to give a special shout out to all my special education coworkers this summer at extended school year. Y'all are amazing. And so are all of the kids that we teach. It's been a lot of fun. And, and um, we have some new listeners with the teachers there. So it's great. Well, hi to all of you guys, and thanks for tuning in. Um, please uh, enter the contest like we talked about. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and send us any cryptid stories or paranormal podcast stories. We'll get you entered in a drawing. We'll be announcing uh, winners weekly. Uh, so net or winners every new podcast. So the next time we have a podcast, whether that's one, one or two weeks, we'll announce the winner from this week's uh, launch. So yep. please also reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also email us at Ichabod's House. Is it podcast or pod? Ichabod's House pod? Ichabod's House pod. At gmail.com. Yes. Andy, you're brilliant. You got that email address correct. You make me say amazing things. I do. And when I write the script, I really, I really like to put in a lot of compliments from you to me. I know you do. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, well, they're all true. Until next time, everybody remember Ichabod loves you. Carry a flashlight and always bring extra pants. <laughs>